This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when... That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Hey there. All Latino is taking a break from making new shows for a bit while we regroup for the upcoming year. But that doesn't mean that we'll leave you without some great content from All Latino's extensive inventory of interviews. We'll be taking a deep dive into our archive and pulling out some of our favorite coverage throughout the years. Enjoy. Señoras y señores, bienvenidos al party. Agarren a su pareja por la cintura y prepárense. Porque lo que viene no está fácil, no está fácil, no. It's Women's History Month, and we've covered some very interesting topics in regards to the role of women in Latin music across the globe here on Alt Latino. And for this episode, we decided to bring you one from our archive that focuses on the representation of women in reggaeton. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. This week features a panel discussion from 2016 with two Latina academics who have focused on the cultural and social phenomenon that is reggaeton. Petra Rivera Rideau is professor of American Studies at Wellesley College, and Omaris Zamora is a transnational Black Dominican scholar and research expert from the University of Kansas. I spoke to Petra and Omaris about their analysis of the role of women within reggaeton, their contributions, and their representation throughout the genre. They have spent a lot of time listening to reggaeton, first as fans of the music and then as academics as they explore the socioeconomic and political impacts of the music on our communities. Reggaeton has received a bad rap, pardon the expression, because some of the earliest music was was kind of sexist and very male-centric. But like every other genre, it has changed and evolved, and it shouldn't be judged by its worst moments. At least, that's what we learned from this week's archive interview. Check it out. We are living through an amazing moment, a cultural shift in the age of Me Too and Time's Up, a raising awareness among some men of distinguishing inappropriate behavior toward the women in their lives and in general. It is particularly significant that the incidents that sort of launched this national conversation happened in the artistic community, with the revelation that Hollywood big shot Harvey Weinstein didn't live up to his leadership role in the film industry, some women even going as far as calling him a serial rapist. Now, there have been 
accusations in various industries, media, politics, the hotel industry. But let's get back to the arts, because one of the ripple effects of all this is a critical reexamination of artistic expression within distinct cultural groups. And today we add to that national conversation by taking a look at women and reggaeton. And we're going to talk about it with some special guests this week. Petra Rivera Rideau is an assistant professor of American studies at Wellesley College. Her area of expertise is the examination of race in Latin American and Latino or Latinx communities here in the United States. She also studies popular music and is the author of Remixing Reggaeton, The Cultural Politics of Race in Puerto Rico. She joins us from the campus of Wellesley College in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Professor, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Also with us this week is Omari Somora. She's Assistant Professor of Latin American and Latino Studies at the University of Kansas. She is a transnational Black Dominican scholar, a research expert whose area of expertise includes Black and Latino studies, as well as issues of race and gender and sexuality as they relate to Hispanic Caribbean cultures. She is also an accomplished spoken word artist and poet, and she is talking to us from the campus of the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. Professor, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, we're not in class. I don't think my grade's going to get dinged, <laughs> so I can call you guys by your first name, right? Yes, yes no, please no do. No professor. All right. <laughs> do this. Um, let's play a, a song. Petra, you have assembled a list of songs uh, that we want to talk about today, and I think that we should start off with listening to a little bit of music. So let's do this. I'm going to pick a song from the list of music that you sent me, and then we're going to open up the conversation about what we're hearing and also get a little bit of background, a little bit of history on reggaeton, because I think that's one thing that's really misunderstood is its origins and its history and how it ended up here. So I'm going to play En La Cama by Nicky Jam featuring Daddy Yankee. Okay. As I tell my sons, that'll be enough of that. <laughs> I'm over here dancing in my chair. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay. So let's, that's a classic. Yeah. So what makes it a classic? What are we hearing? And for those who don't speak Spanish, what are some of the things that are being said there? I feel like this is a classic because this is before, at least for me, um, before reggaeton becomes a lot more mainstream. Um, one of the classic things about it is that the whole, uh, the beat is very, is a little more classic in terms of reggaeton and it has a lot of Puerto Rican slang that is relatable to reggaeton. Um, and in terms of the lyrics, the interesting thing about the lyrics is the part where he says, yo quiero la combi completa, meaning that he wants the whole combination, right, of these different parts of her body and the different things that she likes to have done in terms of her sexual pleasure, right, what gives her pleasure. So I think it's, a, it's, it's definitely a classic in terms of reggaeton, of being very unfiltered, good rhythm. I sent you this song, too, because Nikki Jam is an artist who's incredibly popular right now, and I think a lot of, for example, my students... Um, 
here at Wellesley, when we talk about Nicky Jam, they think about him singing a lot of very romantic, what they consider some romantic songs um, that have been big hits for him. But this is a kind of old school Nicky Jam. And so that's right. it's pretty explicit. And it's, I think, a part of his career that people sort of, unless you've been listening to reggaeton for a long time, kind of forget that he was around earlier, which is part of why I wanted to play Nicky Jam. But I agree with Omaris that the sound, it's a lot uh, less embellished and poppy. And it is also a pretty, you know, sexually explicit song. Let's yeah. talk about that, sexually explicit. Now, is that uh, by nature, is that, does that have any kind of character of misogyny at all? There are two ways of looking at it, right? So Omaris describes the song, and I don't know, Omaris, you should jump in for sure, but um, when you described the song, you were talking about like what gives the woman pleasure, and I think that's one way of looking at the song, and then I think there's also a lot of people who present songs like that as completely objectifying because the lyrics are, you know, when he says he wants the total combination, he's outlining very specific body parts, you know, the breasts, the butt the vagina, right, and using slang terms for them. And so I think, I don't know, I mean, I feel like the com- the question about is reggaeton misogynistic, are these misogynistic lyrics, I feel like we need to ha- make that question a little more complicated. Lots of people would say yes. My mother definitely would say yes. My mother would be, I think, worried if I played the song in front of her. But um, the other reason why I say that is because historically, you know, this has been the constant thing that people say about reggaeton, right? This is such a misogynistic music. It promotes violence against women. It promotes supposedly immoral sexual behavior. And and this kind of argument has been used to not only discredit reggaeton, but in my opinion, also demonize a lot of the communities that reggaeton comes from, which have historically been working class um, black or non-white, right, in a Puerto Rican kind of racial context, urban communities um, that are subject to a lot of structural racism and disenfranchisement and have historically, um, communities that have historically been attributed with a lot of stereotypes around sexuality and violence and things like that. So I feel like we can't divorce that conversation about these accusations about reggaeton's misogyny from some of that larger social context, which is why I, I want to make it more complicated. You, what you're saying is then that it's it's two separate realities in a way. What's offensive or questionable to one demographic or one group of people or even one listener may not be the same thing to another listener or, or another demographic. Just based on their background, where they come from, and, and what's the norm and how they grew up. I mean, I think maybe, right? But I also don't want to give the impression that that everybody in these communities are interested in sexually explicit lyrics, right? So I think it's the kind of constant discussion about reggaeton as a misogynistic thing, which is an old conversation, right? This is something that's been happening ever since reggaeton started coming out, you know? That question needs to be contextualized in a different, in, in a way, right? And it needs to be talked about in terms of different matters of taste, but also, like, another question I have is, like, why are we always obsessed with talking about this in reggaeton and not in bachata or not in salsa or, you know, Mm -hmm. not in Latin pop, right? Like, what is it that makes us constantly anxious about misogyny in reggaeton? And I'm not trying to say that reggaeton needs to be let off the hook, right, that we don't need to hold 
people accountable for troubling lyrics and things like that. But I also think it's problematic if reggaeton is the only space where we're doing that. One of the things that I think about, particularly to this song and, and, and many songs of this particular time in the early 2000s and late 90s of reggaeton is that there's a lot of Right, kind of like this song where Nikki Jam and Daddy Yankee are talking about what this woman likes and what pleasures her. And a lot of times we're like, well, I want to hear it from her. You know, I want to hear it. If this is what she likes, let her say it. But at the same time, lyrics like this kind of connect with some women because they're like, yeah, that's that's what I like. And um, I think one of the things that this kind of conversation about reggaeton being misogynistic is that I feel that many times it comes from a very kind of classist perspective, a perspective that really highlights respectability politics when it comes to the sexuality of women. And mm -hmm. it almost shuts down that women cannot be sexual beings and they don't have sexual desires that they can voice or that they can have voiced and be part of a popular scene, which is something that I appreciate of reggaeton in some ways, right? Um, and it's not always thought about that way. So I think it's it's problematic to sometimes say too quickly, right, that something is misogynistic, for example, something like this, um, because it's talking about the sexual pleasures of a woman or what she likes or what is out there. And it's like, well, are we out here also policing women's agency on what can be said and what cannot? Um, to a certain degree, and, and if they want to partake in this particular kind of scene or this music genre, it's yeah, right. It's, that's that part of the conversation as well. You are listening to Alt Latino. We're talking about reggaeton and reggaeton and women. And I want to go back to something you said, uh, Petra, about the history. Can you give us a little bit of a snapshot, okay? The 30-second version <laughs> yeah. of history of reggaeton. Now, which, of course, is impossible, but just to give an idea of like where it came from, what is the time frame we're talking about, and who were the people that were making it initially? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really hard to do this in such a quick snapshot, I, I, right? I, I, because part of it, part of it too, is that there's debate about reggaeton's origins, sure. right? So the, the story big, the that big. I tell you is probably going to make some people mad, right? There's lots of different stories of reggaeton's origins, but in terms of this particular song, um, since Nicki Jam. And Daddy Yankee are Puerto Rican. I'll talk about it in Puerto Rico, which is where a lot of people associate reggaeton originally, although there's reggae and espanol scene happening in Panama that has also been credited as like part of the origins of reggaeton. But in Puerto Rico, we're talking about like the early 90s, late 80s, this moment in urban working class places in Puerto Rico where you have, like hip-hop, where the, the main person would be the DJ, right? And so you have this DJ, like DJ Playero, DJ Negro, who have this kind of cohort of rappers, and they piece together beats from hip-hop, from dancehall, from Panamanian reggae and espanol, and they create these beats, and then a series of rappers will come on and and rap over them. And this was music that was recorded and then informally distributed initially on mixtapes and then eventually on kind of island-based record labels until finally in the mid-2000s we get the breakout of, of Daddy Yankee's Gasolina in 2004 Then I, I think kind of pushes reggaeton. I, I wouldn't say necessarily beyond Puerto Rico because there are certainly people in the United States listening to it and people in other countries listening to it, but it kind of pushes it into the mainstream in terms of pushing it into this formal global music industry, right? Um, so that's my brief 
kind of <laughs> very brief snapshot. I mean, because I do think that it's quite complicated. But but what I want to stress is that, you know, at least in the Puerto Rican context, um, it was these like urban working class neighborhoods that reggaeton was associated with in its beginnings on the island. You're listening to All Latino, and this week we're jumping back in time to celebrate Women's History Month by revisiting an interview I did back in 2016 with academics Petra Rivera-Rideau and Omari Zamora to examine the contributions and representations of women across reggaeton. Here's more of that interview. We've been talking about reggaeton, but in, like in the past tense, right, about the early days yeah. and the stuff was going on. Let's just move it up to right now, and let's just talk about Despacito. Um, and we're not going to play the song, everybody, okay? Because we've heard it enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it sounds like, and you've seen the video. But let's talk about that. And let's start with the the most recent uh, performance of the song at the Grammys uh, in late January uh, with the dancers, uh, the performance that happened on the stage. Petra, can you talk a little bit about what we were seeing and then what some of the reaction was? Yeah. So the performance of Despacito, um, you know, this was a big deal, I think, to have a Spanish language song performed at the Grammys. And and what was performed was with Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee. Justin Bieber was not there. Right. So it was the original version of the song. Um, And it's a pretty typical performance, in my opinion. You know, they've performed this song in many places. And um, the one thing that I think was different about it is that Suleika Rivera, who was Miss Universe and is the love interest in the music video, comes out at the end of the performance in a very revealing outfit and dances while they sing. And um, that caused some controversy. Uh, You know, on the Internet, there were a lot of people talking about her being inappropriate or why is she wearing, you know, she was wearing this very sheer outfit. So she was like appeared practically naked and all these things. I think that there's a reason why they are getting the brunt of this criticism, right? And it falls into this kind of stereotypes of Latino men as being hypersexual, dangerous, mm-hmm. Latin lover people. And I, my question is not that we shouldn't criticize them, but why are we criticizing them and not the, you know, and nobody else, right? Well, well, or why are we, why are we so worried about that and not the fact that like very few women actually won awards? Well, right? I, I'll. I'll answer that, okay? <laughs> because you know, I'll I'll be honest. I'm on when I was watching it, um, my first reaction was, you know, we have this very important moment, as you said, a Spanish language song being performed on the Grammys, not on the Latin Grammys, but on the main Grammy telecast. Uh, it's a very important part, and here we go with girls with barely any clothes on 
and all the men are dressed, completely dressed. There was mm -hmm. no guy with short shorts on, right? Um, and to me, and maybe I'm just, you know, the fuddy-duddy tío was like, oh, my God, what are you guys doing, right? But, I mean, <laughs> but it's still, and I, I got a lot of reaction on my Facebook page. It's like, that was our moment, and why did we have to go for the sexualized um, identity like that? You know, when, when there were so many other things, are so many other ways to portray that. That was my reaction, uh, and, yeah. and, it, and it, was a, it was a popular reaction. I was more concerned yeah. with the representation of me on the telecast. So here's the thing, right? Because I, I like your question, um, Felix, and this thing that, Petra, that you're also asking is that, right? And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, but guys, this is what sells, right? And... You know, we can't get away from capitalism. We just can't, you know, and that's what's going to, you know, these things are the things that are going to, you know, these are the people who are going to be commodified to sell. Despacito sold and now we see it on the grand stage. And here's the other thing that maybe some people will kill me for saying this, but I think it was really weirdly interesting that the Grammys was doing this thing with the right roses and the Me Too movement, because honestly, I feel like it's a movement that right now it's all about feminism and I feel like, well, this movement about feminism and Me Too is also being commodified and sold, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, let's yes. get everybody watching the Grammys and let's make sure that we add a social justice turn to this because now everybody wants to be radical and everybody wants to be woke. So we're going to have, you know, we're going to sell the sexualized performance as usual, but we're also going to sell to the radical feminist women who may not watch us if we don't have this. And the other thing is that Despacito is also a song about sex. And I think that's mm -hmm. worth pointing out, right? I mean, they may have this whole thing about the ocean waves and all this <laughs> language, right? But it's a song about sex. And I think people forget that. And it, is that, so is that a good thing? Does it, does it over-sexualize Latino culture and Latino men? Uh, does it take away, because the men are singing it, does it take away from the power of the women to control their sexuality with us noting, by the way, that the song was co-written by a woman? You know, I don't know in terms of taking away entirely, um, especially women's involvement into the song and things like that. I mean, the song is about sex, and but it's so coded in let's fall in love slowly. Let's do this slowly. Um, so I think it comes off very romantic, right, which ends up becoming more socially acceptable for mainstream radio um, and just listeners, right? They don't really pay too much attention to the lyrics, I feel. Um, so I feel like, right, they really don't. Um, it's all about the rhythm, right? It gets you dancing. And then when you look at the lyrics, that's when you start realizing and making all the connections, right? Um, but I think that... In some ways, I mean, I don't know. I'm really, I'm really on the, on the, uh, what's the word, edge about this because, in some ways, it's still misogynistic, right? And it's still kind of, it's these men speaking for these women, even though there is a woman, as that's involved in the writing of the song, but not necessarily in the performance and the selling of the song, um, up front, right, in center stage. Which I think that's the part that kind of bugs me. That I just wish there were more women. Um, who are voicing that for themselves okay. instead of men for them. Okay, so let's use that to transition to another video, okay? One of the songs you sent in is by Evie Queen. So tell us a little bit about Evie Queen, and then we'll play the song. Evie Queen is arguably the most visible woman in reggaeton, or has historically been. Um, 
her career spans a lot of reggaeton's history, right? So she's starting out in the early 90s before reggaeton gets poppy. Um, and then she puts out several albums eventually, you know, picked up by major record companies. Um, and I think she's really important uh, for a lot of reasons, not only because she's the most um, visible woman and has had such a long career, um, but I also think, and I, I also think musically she's interesting, right? She's been able to have a long career because she's been able to adapt to different styles. She uses her voice in different ways. Um, and I, I really like her. So the song that I sent to you is a song called Quiero Bailar, and it's one of her first kind of big hits once reggaeton, um, you know, breaks into more of like the Latin music mainstream, so to speak. <laughs> Señoras y señores, bienvenidos al party. Agarren a su pareja y prepárense, porque lo que viene no está fácil, no está fácil, no. Yo quiero bailar, tú quieres sudar y pegarte a mí el cuerpo rosado. Yo te digo si tú me puedes provocar, eso no quiere decir que pa' la cama Okay, so for those that don't speak Spanish, why don't you give us an idea of what she's singing about? She's talking about dancing and how you, you know, you can provoke me on the dance floor, we can sweat together, you can make me breathe hard, but I'm not going to bed with you at the end of the night. And that's essentially um, the song. That's a bold statement. Very bold statement. It really is. And, yeah. and how common is that? There aren't that many women artists. Um, and so I think that's part of what makes Evie Queen important, you know. And so I think to part of how common it is, I mean, it's I don't think it's that common, right? Because there's not that many women who have the stature and the kind of recognition of someone like Evie Queen, right? But I also think that we could expand our conversation. I'd love to hear what Om Omaris you know, has been writing about Cardi B, and I'd love to, like, expand the conversation to include someone like Cardi B, um, who isn't necessarily a reggaeton singer, but kind of operates in similar worlds. It's interesting. I mean, I love Ivy Queen. I think this song is so pivotal in terms of female agency and reggaeton, especially because she's saying, hey, we're going to twerk on the dance floor and we're going to get really close, um, but I get to decide if when this is going to happen. I get to decide whether I want to have sex with you or not. Evie Queen is one of the biggest inspirations for Cardi B, and Cardi B says this. Um, so she has a lot of respect for Evie Queen. And even though Cardi B is not necessarily a reggaetonera, um, she does have a lot of influence in, in terms of a lot of the current reggaeton artists, um, Latin trap artists. Um, and she has done collaborations with Osuna, who is a very current reggaeton artist, as well as um, Messia, who is a Latin trap artist, Dominican. And 
it's interesting because in one of the songs she calls herself the mother of Latin trap, uh, <laughs> which I think is, is really interesting. And she has a lot of these kind of, she's very much still in conversation with Evie Queen and someone who really owns their sexuality and has a lot of agency about her own body, right? Someone who was a formal stripper and who has who is very knowledgeable of how to make money for herself but also very knowledgeable of how to work the business the music industry and her lyrics are very infused with being the boss which is one of the things that evie queen says in the song where she gets to say you know i'm the boss and i get to decide when things happen and in the same way cardi b decides that she is the boss and gets to decide when things happen and tell people hey i've made it and look at everything that i have i just all i can think about is boss she's a boss <laughs> That discussion was from 2016, and reggaeton has changed a lot since then. It's become very mainstream, and some say this new sound has lost some of the musical punch it used to have in the early days. As always, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to reggaeton. And it's one of the things we do here on Alt Latino, try to reflect an ever-changing musical landscape and how it impacts our communities. So there. That was from the 2016 Alt Latino episode, Reggaeton in the Era of Me Too. My thanks again to Archive Series producer and Alt Latino intern, Kat Spasado, for doing the crate diving and pulling these shows up from the archive. Thanks so much. You have been listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. I'm... Felix Contreras, as always, thanks so much for listening and take care of each other out there, folks. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Quién Are We is a podcast that celebrates the stories and joy of Latin people. Your identity is where you grew up. I think I belong in Colombia. Who you grew up with. My sister and I would make up English words. The foods you ate. I owe my life to the flour tortilla. The traditions that you celebrate, the things that make you happy. Listen to Quién Are We, a podcast from Colorado Public Radio, part of the NPR Network. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.